Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for hearing our cries and our petitions as unworthy as they are in the blood righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even as we know not what to pray for as we ought, we have one that is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We have one that intercedes for us at your side, making requests and cleaning up our petitions as it were and causing them to be fit for your audience. And yet as we say these things, at least I can speak for myself, I wonder just how much I really understand what it all means. And yet it is indeed precious to be able to come but unto you and pour out our hearts in such a way that we are unable to express it to any other. And yet we long for that day when this mortal shall have put on immortality. This dishonorable body will be honorable. And we shall be made like Christ, whatever that is. We shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. And as we saw this morning, no man will see you. We would have to be omnipresent to see you in your fullness. And the human body is not, I'm not, I'm not present. Even our Lord in His glorified state in His humanity is not omnipresent. And yet as the eternal Son 
He is. Profound truths. Mysteries that no man can unravel. I do pray, Father, that you will continue to rule in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth according to the promise of your word. And while we are unable to ascertain what it's all about, the wrath of man praises you and the remainder you restrain. Yes, wicked men would be far worse than they are if it were not for your restraining providential dealings with them. And frankly, oftentimes we wonder why you do not restrain more than what you do. But who are we to ask? Who are we to question? And we know that if it were not for your grace and mercy, we would be right in the middle of the wicked and the ungodly and the perverse. For we were there at one time. Father, thank you for having mercy on my soul. Thank you for delivering me from the pit. Thank you for blessing me to love Christ. And me who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ? I would that I could do it justice. Again, thank you for faithful men who stand and preach the gospel of the Son of God, raise up others, we would ask. Bless the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters covers the sea. I believe it shall be someday. Nevertheless, thy will be done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming back to 1 John chapter 4, we looked uh, this morning at verse 12. Uh, we want to look at uh, verses 13 through 15. Uh, as usual, uh, I don't know how far we'll get. And... Uh, uh, I have to leave that up to the Lord. Uh, I'm not interested in getting through the uh, through the book at any quick quick speed, nor do I want to drag it out uh, 
unnecessarily. Uh, just uh, uh, so we just try to take that as as it comes. Verse thirteen: Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Now we read these verses this morning in connection with verses 7 through 12 and tried to show the continuity of the, uh, the overall uh, context. And so I will not go back and reiterate that. If someone out there heard is hearing this sermon without hearing the previous, I would uh, encourage you to go back and hear the previous message, not because of any greatness in the, in the speaker, but hopefully to see the uh, the the context of, of it all together. But I will point out that these verses tell us in no uncertain terms that we who are believers have the Spirit of God. And that we who are believers have God dwelling in us and we are dwelling in God. Now, you have to admit if you have any uh, reason about you, you have to admit that we do not go about each day with some energy pulsating through our being that gives us I hate to use the word, but I'll use it, to give us a feeling that we're in God and God in us. And too often, when reading verses like this, that's what we look for. In other words, we look for some sensation. That resonate in us whereby we could say with certainty that God's in me and I'm in God. But it doesn't work that way. We 
made mention of that somewhat this morning, but I will uh, run the risk of uh, stating this again, and hopefully that I'm not uh, imposing upon your uh, intellect and your uh, acumen. There's a distinction to be made between the Spirit and the flesh. Some weeks ago, No, I think I'm thinking about one of the podcasts that I worked on recently. Sometimes I get what I've uh, been writing on that mixed up with what I'm preaching. But uh, we, well, I, I lost my thought. Uh, Well, maybe it'll come back. If not, it doesn't. But, oh yes. When we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we know from Scripture that we are born dead in trespasses and in sin. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness unto him. And at one point, we are dead in sin. And the next moment, we are alive unto Christ. We're regenerated. And I'm persuaded that as a general rule, no man can say precisely when he was born again. Now some people would say, well, now we know the Apostle Paul was born again on the road to Damascus. And some people even question that. Some people think that he was born again beforehand. But regardless of that, let's just say that he was born again on the road to Damascus. But even at that, can we pinpoint when he was born again? Was it when the light shined about him or when he fell to the ground? By the way, a lot of times you'll be reading uh, Bible commentators and they talk about Paul being uh, uh, knocked off his horse when he was there on the road to Damascus. Well, first of all, there's no evidence that Paul was riding a horse. And secondly, it doesn't say he was knocked off his horse. So, uh, let's just uh, clear that out of the way. But was he born again when the light first fell on him or when he fell to the ground? Or was it when the Lord spoke to him the first time or the second time or the third time? Or 
Or was it when the Lord told him what to do after he said, What shall thou have me to do? In other words, even though we might say, and might say with accuracy, that Paul was born again on the road to Damascus, we can't say exactly when it was. We can't pinpoint it. That's God's business. And I, I'm persuaded uh, that it's that way with us, uh, just like it is with our natural birth or conception, I should say. At one point, we were not a human being. And then at conception, we became a living human being. Now, I'm not going to get off into all the Scriptures and argue about that from the abortionist standpoint and so on. Just let it be known. That's what I believe. I believe I can show that from the Bible. David said, In sin did my mother conceive me. David said he was a sinner from the time of conception. And there are many other passages. In other words... Spiritual working of God on the heart and on the soul is on a far deeper level than our human existence and our human feelings and emotions. I believe that I I'll give this illustration, and I, I know I've given it before. Uh, nobody here uh, ever knew uh, Brother Grady Norton. He was a member at Pine Hill uh, Congregation at Ripley, Mississippi, and uh, a very, very godly man. Uh, he did a lot, a lot of the song leading. Uh, for years, I thought he was a deacon, but he wasn't, but... Uh, anyway, uh, he had a stroke. Now I went to visit Brother Grady in the hospital. Far as I know, he didn't know I was there. I tried speaking to him, uh, quoting Scripture and read Scripture to him and prayed and all of that. But even though he didn't know I was there, he was talking to the Lord. In other words, his spirit, his spirit was communicating with God when his body was paralyzed. And I said all of that to say this in light of these verses. Hereby we know you see, John didn't say, I think. He didn't say, I hope. He didn't say, I wish it were true. We know that we dwell in Him. We know that we live in Him. How do we know that? 
by the second part of verse 12, which we brought out somewhat this morning, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and His love is perfected in us. Now, it didn't say if we love one another, we have this feeling. We may or may not have the feeling. The assurance of salvation, the assurance of your love of God is not something that resides in you. It resides in the work of God in you. And how is it that God dwells in me and I dwell in God? How, how can that be? It's because He's given us His Spirit. You know the word dwell means to abide. We're living. I like the way Peter described it in Second Peter chapter one and verse four. Well, let me start at the first verse uh, so I can get the context and you can see. Uh, well, it's, it's just worth reading. <laughs> Simon Peter, a servant and, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, without going into uh, looking it all up and everything, the word obtained there means to receive something by divine allotment. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, notice that. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The more you know of, the, of God and Jesus, the more that grace and peace is going to be not only distributed to you or given to you, but multiplied. Multiplied. If I'm going to get some money and it's going to be given to me in multiplications, I sure like that better than addition, don't you? Anyway, according as His divine power 
hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge, there it is again, of Him that called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now what I want out of that fourth verse is the concept and the idea that we are partakers of the divine nature. Do you feel like you're divine? I don't. In fact, I don't know how I would feel if I were divine. And yet, and yet, I am a partaker of the divine nature if I am a child of grace. This word partaker means to share. To be a companion. A partner. You say, well, what are you getting at? What I'm getting at is that regardless of how you feel, this is true. Remember 1 John 4 again. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. In other words, these things are true, not how we feel, but who we are. And what we do. It's a fact. As we have seen over and over and over and over again, John is quite clear. John is quite clear in you knowing that you are one of His. And, and it does not have anything to do with how you feel. It's how you act, how you live, who you are what you are. You say, but I'm a sinner. John said that. You remember that in, in chapter 1, verses 8 and 10? One of them says, if we say that we have no sin, uh, we're, we deceive ourselves. Or Well, let me read them lest I get it all wrong. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Yes, we're sinners. 
But there is a way of life that a child of grace has whereby he knows. And he is a partaker. He is a partaker of the divine nature. I want us to look at this word partaker a little bit and hopefully it will solidify in your soul as God takes the use of this word used in His uh, New Testament. That will give some confirmation of who you are and what you are. We'll start off in Matthew 23. Matthew 23. And I'll just read verse 30. Christ is ridiculing or condemning the Pharisees. Christ said that the Pharisees would say, "If we this is Matthew 23, 30, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. In other words, uh, Jesus said, You're saying... If you had been alive with your forefather, you wouldn't have persecuted the prophets like they did. You wouldn't have been in there partaking with them. You wouldn't have been doing what they're doing. This is the word partaker. We are partakers of the divine nature. Luke chapter 5. Verse 20. And so was also James and John, the son of Zebedees, which were partakers with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch fish. What does that mean? That means that James and John were uh, in partners. They were in business with Simon Peter. That's Luke 5 and 10. They were, they, were in, they were in partnership with them. You know what a partner is, don't you? Some of you uh, here live in the same apartment and you share expenses. You're partakers with each other's expenses. First Corinthians chapter ten. 
Verse 18, Behold Israel after the flesh. Are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altars? In other words, they were worshiping devils. See the context. For time's sake, let's skip on to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to leave some of these out. It's only used ten times, this particular word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. The word there is partner. Philemon 17. Paul tells Philemon, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. Hebrews 10.33 Partly, while ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and affliction, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. The word companion. And then it's used in also in 1 Corinthians 10.20 of fellowship. In other words, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, We become partakers of the divine nature. And that's what James or John is talking about in 4.13, about that He has given us of His Spirit. And God dwells in us by His Spirit. Now again, I know I don't, and I haven't read or heard of anybody that walks about day by day by day with some uh, pulsation of energy going through their body saying, this is the Spirit of God. And yet, oftentimes, we strive to get close to the Lord. We try to read and study from time to time and do various things and even come to the house of God wanting to feel something. 
It's often said by people, well, I went to, I went to church, but I didn't get anything out of it. Well, the question is asked, what were you looking for? The Word of God says that we're to go to the house of God not to get anything out of it, but to worship Him. Now I'm going to... Well, we may not get through this, but... I want, I want to look at several passages of Scripture to show that God dwells in us by His Spirit. Now anybody that knows anything about the Bible, I don't believe would, would even argue against that. But too often people that uh, would say that, think that they're supposed to be having some kind of feeling when the Bible doesn't even say that. We read into it. I've read, I read into it for years. Sometimes I still would think I would like to work up something whereby that I could really know that God is with me, well, what am I looking for? I'm trying to get some affirmation that would work on my senses, my physical senses. Well, that's just not the norm. That's just not the norm. Yes, sometimes when I'm reading His Word or studying His Word or praying or singing the song, songs of Zion, it just seems like the Lord floods my soul. And obviously, I like that. But that's not that's not what we live for. That's not day by day living the life of Christ. That's not what John is saying here in this epistle. First John 4, let's read verses 15 and 16. We've already read them, but whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Now notice, it didn't say whosoever feels something, did it? It didn't say whosoever uh, had uh, some kind of experience. It didn't say whosoever is baptized. It didn't say whosoever participates in the Lord's Supper. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. 
God dwelleth in him. God is dwelling in him. Dwelleth is in the uh, present tense. Do you confess that Jesus is the Son of God? God dwells in you. You say, well, what if I'm deceived? Well, do you love the brethren? Do you try to do good to them? Do you go back over what we've already covered. Quit trying to deny the Word of God. God dwells in you. You dwell in God. You're living in God. God's living in you. One of you said to me this morning as we came together in the house of the Lord, this is not just another day. This is the day. And I've heard you uh, all of you from time to time say Sunday's the best day of my life because we go to the house of the Lord. Didn't say, you know, uh, what I get out of it. Though I'm sure you do get something. But you delight to be in the house of God. You read your Bible. You read them daily. I know you do. You know, most professing Christians don't even read their Bibles. I heard recently that only 4% and this was years ago, 4% of professing evangelical Christians give a tenth to the house of God. I heard recently of a deacon, and I commend that deacon But they were having a men's meeting and he talked about how that he said, and he said, I don't know what anybody else gives in this congregation. But I know there's one of us that gives over a fourth of the, of the contribution that comes up on a weekly basis. That speaks volumes, does it not? One man gives over a fourth of that whole congregation. Now, they're not a small one like us, you know. Uh,
My point is this. I'm not trying to tell how much anyone ought to give. And I'm not trying to say how much somebody ought to read. But I am saying this. That if somebody loves the Lord, they're going to devote a lot of time and energy into the Lord's work. Can you imagine a young man or a young woman that uh, has a, what do they call it today, a relationship <laughs> whatever that's supposed to mean. But anyway, uh, they're in a relationship together that uh, uh, one of them would send the other. Uh, well, they, they don't write letters today too much, uh, hardly any. Every once in a while I hear some. But anyway, say so they send a text message or an email. Well, I'll get around to it when it's convenient. Well, let's go out to eat. Well, uh, uh, we, I can't buy you much. Uh, I'll give you a hamburger off the dollar meal. That doesn't show much love, does it? That's what people are doing to God, serving Him on a convenient basis. No wonder they don't know whether God dwells in them or whether they dwell in God. You know why? Because they're not living in God, are they? They don't even come home long enough to change clothes. But whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwells, dwelleth in Him, and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. How do we know the love God has to us? God is love, and He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in Him. How do you know you dwell in love? Go back to John, 1 John 3. I'm not going to turn back there. Well, I've got several more passages. And I won't have time to get through all of them. Let's just stop there. And the Lord willing, we'll come back to that uh, in the future. Uh, Next week, Lord willing. But I want you to know, beloved, God dwelling in you and you dwelling in God is far more concrete than how you feel about something. It's clear, it's concise. You say, well, why are you hammering this? Because we need to hear it.
If you're like I am, too often I get to thinking, well, I don't know, uh, how can I be one of the Lord the way I the way I feel and this and that? It's not about the feeling. It's about the doing. You say, well, I, I'm not doing right. Then repent. Pray to God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, well, I don't feel like it. It's not a matter if you feel like it. Are you confessing? He didn't say if we confess our sin, He'll make us feel good. If we confess, He forgives. Believe the Word of God. That's what it boils down to. Believing the Word of God. Well, I'll stop lest I overhammer that. <laughs> but I, we need to hear it. I do. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. People out there on the internet, they need to hear it. But they need to do more than hear it. They need to believe it. Let's pray. Holy Father, I don't know how to get it across any better. And if I'm wrong, I sure ask that You would open my blind eyes and the eyes of all who hear to see uh, the error of my way. But I believe You mean what You say. That's what You said in Your Word. We either believe You and believe Your Word or we come up with something ourselves. And as long as we live in this sinful body, this sinful world, we're going to have this warfare till the day we die. But help us to put on the whole armor of God that we might fight against the wiles of the devil and draw nigh to You and live in You and live in Christ. For eternal life is knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.